the glory days are here to say the 80s horror show. Take a stroll down memory lane, it's time to start the show. The gory days, the gory days, the gory days, the gory days. The gory days. days. Welcome to the gory days, the show where we take a stroll down memory slain to remember our favorite horror movies from the 1980s and beyond. Kyle Leone here, your host for another week, and what a week it is. It's the holiday season, ladies and gentlemen. It's the march up to Christmas, and if you're listening to this when it comes out, it is Tuesday, only a few days left before Christmas, and with the pandemic and everything, if you haven't finished your shopping, you are SOL. Uh, I'm sure a lot of the stores are closed, and Amazon is promising two-day delivery, but that's not going to happen, ladies and gentlemen. If you haven't finished your holiday shopping, you're screwed. But for those of you who aren't, why don't you relax with a fun episode of The Gory Days here? I've got a great guest today that I met on set recently. What? On set? We're not supposed to be doing that? Well, don't tell anybody. Anyway... An amazing second AC that I had the pleasure of working with, but not just that. She is an on-set superstar and a filmmaker based right here in Los Angeles. Please welcome to the first time to the gory days, Hootie McGarian. Hello. Um, oh my God. Thank you so much. That was such a great intro. Can like, can that happen like every day in my life? I just want to walk into a room where that that's, that's presented by me. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate so that. Much. It's funny because I realized as I was finishing up my intro that I forgot to mention you also host your own podcast, Onset Stories. I do. Yeah, so I'm in the hot seat now. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. It feels a little different. I don't know what you do on your podcast. I have to admit, I haven't listened to any of the episodes yet, but I really want to. And uh, I hope to be invited on as a guest at some point. But oh my God, I was going to ask you, like, the second we're done, I'm like, you have to be on my podcast. Oh, great. You're awesome. There it is. Sweet. It's on mic. I'm going (laughs) to hold you to it. Um, of course. So, uh, Hootie, I met you on set at um, back in November when we were working on reshoots for uh, a mutual friend of ours. But I didn't know that you had a podcast until the very end of the day when you just like casually <laughs> dropped. I think you were mentioning to the director like, oh, you should be on our podcast. I was like, um, yeah. I have a podcast, too. <laughs> but tell me about yours. <laughs> we should work together. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, I like to be professional. I like to keep the party to the end of the day, to the end of the shoot. But um, yeah, absolutely. Well, I ha- it's called Set Stories Podcast. And that's podcast though with a T. I want to know um, about It's why. a little play of the word. Okay. Uh, you will know why. Um, well, basically, it's a podcast where filmmakers get together, no matter what position you're in, whether that's from like producer top notch to the PA, uh, to anybody's assistant. Uh, we want to hear all positions. We want to get every guest possible on on the podcast where we literally just talk about crazy stuff behind the, behind the camera. Um, whether that's a funny experience or a bad experience, we try and learn from it um, and to make it funny. You know, hopefully the podcast, the show is really funny. And uh, uh, I started it with two friends of mine. Uh, the gist of it was my idea. So the reason why I call it podcast yes. is not because it's like, a podcast uh, talking about weed all the time. We we literally just mention a, like thirty seconds on the show each episode. Uh, the reason why I named it podcast was a it's kind of like eye catching. It's like wait what a pot wait what what does that mean? What is that about? Um, and plus, I do know a lot of filmmakers personally who do smoke weed. Um, it helps them relax and stuff like that. But we do not condone 
smoking and filmmaking at the same time. That's not what our, what, that's not what we're about at all. Um, I just wanted to like share stories uh, from different perspectives, different gigs and everything like that, that everybody does on set. And hopefully it'll be funny. And also like, I struggle a lot in this industry and it's, you kind of, when you struggle over and over trying to be successful, whatever that means to you in this life, in your job, uh, it, it feels like you're alone. But the reality is, is that you're not alone. So hopefully in this podcast, like we all share our different stories and we all come together and learn from them, learn from our mistakes and have a little bit of a laugh. So that's what it's about. I love that. That sounds so accessible to anybody who is on set regularly or wishes that they could be or even uh, is just interested (laughs) or even completely outside of that Venn diagram and is just interested in hearing about kind of the like on the ground stories of people who are actually making the things that they want to do. And what I like about what you're describing is that it's like. I hate to say this, but there's a hundred podcasts that do that where it's like talking about people on set, but there are people like they're, they're a listers and there are other celebrities talking to each other about how much fun it was to be on set with, uh, uh, Elijah Wood on, in Lord of the Rings. And it's like, I could read or listen to audio commentaries about that all day, but I'm never going to know what it was like for the, uh, director of photography to work on that one rap music video or something crazy (laughs) that happened on the set of, some like silly little uh, adult film shoot like that's the stuff I want to hear about they sound like really personal grounded stories from people who are doing this because they love it exactly yeah 100% like I really want to start getting casting directors too, like writers editors like production designers and their assistants like I just want to range from because it's all different perspectives you never really think about what they go through in order to, you just see like the end product is the movie, right? And we never know that. Be, I mean, you, you, we've been on sets. It's, it's crazy. It's a jungle. <laughs> it's fun. And the idea that like I have maybe thirty stories running through my head right now that I could talk about from the different sets I'm on. And so it's, it's funny to think that's content that will never run out and it's evergreen right. because people are always <laughs> yeah. making stuff. That's really smart, just from a production standpoint. And I wanted to ask, just as like a peek behind the curtain, uh, I'll use my I statements. I started this podcast as kind of like a creative mental breakdown when I was feeling so like um, creatively constipated that I just had to make something. And at the time, podcasting just seemed like an obvious thing. Did this kind of come out of some kind of like creative need or was this more of like um, a vehicle that happened out of the three of you, your other uh, co-hosts coming together? Oh, man. I mean, so to back up a little bit, I, you know, how like in 2020, everyone is doing a podcast now because <laughs> they're all home. Um, yep. I We started this before that. So I think we started like either late 2018 or early 2019. Oh, okay. I can't really remember. It felt like such a long time ago. But, you know, we did record in the studio and everything like that. But so Charles Cartwright, who's, who's another co-host on the podcast, he has a little thing that he does is called set stories which is kind of like drunk history if you know what that oh, is yeah. but but filmmaking so he like reenacts all these all these crazy behind the scenes stories which he calls set stories and like you know the voiceover and everything while they're drinking you know I it's love like that a, style. he shoots these little vignettes yeah they're so funny and i was like you know after i met him through a mutual friend i was like wait a minute 
this is pretty cool. I even wrote him an episode and we're going to shoot it one day, one day when we're all safe to do so. But um, when we find the money and everything. But um, I was like, wait a minute, what's cheaper to do and more convenient and kind of more like just more accessible, more easy to do than like a whole shooting a whole short film, basically an episode. Let's do a podcast. And he's like, genius. <laughs> and I guess like the rest is history. So he made set stories, the drunk history ripoff thing, but it's better, I think. And then I made set stories podcast, which, yeah. So oh. both of our genius minds connected together. And I was like, what can I do? What can we do? That's like just easier, just audio and cheaper, obviously, than to get like a whole crew and like lighting and all that stuff. So the podcast, um, and hopefully, so the yeah. podcast is um, part of a larger multimedia like uh, idea that is set stories. That's cool. In a way. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully if, uh, if we get like more of a following on the podcast and we were able to reenact some of the stories that our guests have told us into set stories which is the drunk history type of thing so we'll like recreate oh, the crazy stuff not unlike yeah, that, um how they kind of made midnight gospel out of the audio ripped from uh duncan trestle's uh podcast that's really oh. interesting taking pre-recorded audio <laughs> from the podcast and then using it as a product later and for drunk history, like I would think in my head, animation is really the only vehicle you could do. But no, drunk history and reenacting the audio. That's really clever. Yeah, hopefully it'll be fun to do. And how and long has it been? hopefully people that want to see. Say it again? How long has it been? You said that uh, you started the podcast, but how long has he been doing set stories? I think for like a few years. Wow. So he's been... I don't know exactly how long, but you'll have to get him on the show. He'll love to talk about it. He's known as Mr. Set Stories. Oh. I sometimes introduce him as that. So, Well, you got to so let yeah, us know. Do you have awesome. any like really good set stories off the top of your head? One that could uh, entice <laughs> people to go check it out? Oh, goodness gracious. One of well, yours, I, can or... share, I can share mine that I wrote. Okay. But it mostly relates to the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. All kinds of people listen. So, Awesome. So I called, oh my God, I can't believe I'm sharing this. Um, I called my, so I wrote, I wrote a script for the set stories and it's based on a true story, but you have to take a little artistic license. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Um, Cause it's art at the end of the day. It's like an adaptation. But what happened was I was on set, like this was years ago. And um, I, st I had my, my period. So, ah. and I was, you know, surrounded by males uh, you know, as every set is, it's getting better now, but not, you know, and so it was a little embarrassing. We were filming in like an Airbnb house. And what? so there was a family who lived there. Of course they weren't home. We were only filming for like half a day there or something like that. And so <laughs> I had an emergency and, you know, you can't just leave set and come back. You know, no. you gotta, you gotta be on set. And I was doing sound. Oh, so I literally couldn't just walk out. Um, and so, I mean, the end of the story, what happened was, is I stole the ladies of the house's like pads. Mm -hmm. That's what <laughs> happened. I mean, that, that, that's a true story. And so we were going to like have a little reenactment of that, like of me going through that day. 
Um, yeah, oh, that was man. embarrassing, but it really did happen. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I, I thank you so much, Hootie, for sharing that very, <laughs> very personal story. I'm sure the owner of the house totally understood. I'm sure it was an emergency. I, I, you know, it, it really was. I couldn't. Yeah. I, yeah, I was in a pickle. I and, didn't and like, know what to do. And like you say, you're sound. You're not somebody who could like, oh, okay, I'm just going to go, you know, I, I, I did my set part. So I'm just going to go take a break for half an hour or something. No, you have to exactly, be there for yeah. every second of footage oh my god yeah and so I, I i even tried to find one that was like you know ladies have in the bathroom whatever you know like i was trying to find like oh what if she has one open already right. nope i had to open a new bag <laughs> oh. so she probably noticed she definitely Legit. did she probably noticed oh man <laughs> that's too funny because i have to imagine if people were filming if that happened at my place here with my gay fiance you would be sol there is nothing in this apartment and i'm sorry to say actually oh, actually you know what? You wouldn't be. I do have maxi pads because I have chronic sweating sometimes. And it gets so bad oh. that sometimes I have to put maxi pads in my T-shirt so that it stops sweating so much. So you would be mm. saved. All right. <laughs> Next time I'll film at your place. There we go. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, um, that's a true story. That yeah. is an awesome story. And if uh, the other <laughs> set stories are half as good, I got to check out that podcast. Is it still going? It is. Yeah, we're working on our season three right now. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, it's in progress. That's really exciting. Do you do um, do you do the kind of thing I do where you if you can't find a guest, you just don't do an episode or do you do episodes just uh, with your co-hosts? We actually just do it with our co-hosts, oh, but okay. it's kind of crazy. We're a little psychopathic We're we record at least like what is it like four or five in a day? Oh, that's so because we we try and release them weekly, like er, every week. So I want to like get as much as possible. So then once we say, oh, our season premiere, we don't have like this huge gap. And everyone's schedule is just so over the place, COVID or not. So that's I mean, like in 2019, it was hard just to get a cup of coffee with your friends. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, especially when they're all filmmakers, they're all busy. I'm out of town. I, uh, yeah, everyone's tired. But but yeah, we try and have an episode if we can't get a guest like absolutely or if it's like tough to get that scheduled in uh we try and record us two or at least three yeah that's really together. cool just the idea that you could never run out of content even with just the three of you and that there's not really a lot that you have to prepare there's no like research that needs to be done or like even current event like follow-up you're just sharing your personal stories and the biggest authority is you so that's really cool. Yeah. I'm a little yeah. jealous. <laughs> oh, no, your podcast is awesome. Yeah, oh, thank you. But for this show, I do have to do research. And every now and then for a movie like this, I run into a, a very sparse Wikipedia article and I get to put on my detective <laughs> hat and figure out how this movie got made. So why don't we pivot <laughs> over to the movie that you picked today, which is 2018's Mandy, which I, when you told it to me, got immediately confused with Color Out of Space <laughs> because the yeah. posters. Yeah, they do look similar. They do look yeah. very similar. That's all, though. As far as I know, the stories are completely unrelated. But the posters, literally judging a book by its cover, I thought I thought they were the same movie. Mandy came out <laughs> in 2018 and is very different. Um, it's this like <laughs> fantasy horror revenge, like almost. Uh, torture porn movie but um 
acid trip. It's an I wanted acid to, trip. Uh, yes, I wanted to ask you why you picked this movie and what your relationship to it is. Is this one that like really spoke to you? Oh man, like the second you, so you called and asked me to be on the podcast. I was like, heck yes, <laughs> um, absolutely. Cause you're awesome. And I listened to a few episodes and it was great. Um, so I made like a whole list of movies. I'm like, oh, cause I like horror. Um, uh, but this one in particular, I just, it just really stand, stood out. I was like, oh yeah, Mandy, I love that movie. Like I remember watching the trailer for this and I was like, who the hell is this director and what else has he done? Because this was only his sophomore film. This is mm-hmm. only his second film that he ever did. I think maybe short films here and there, but um, I know his dad was a, a director as well. And he did Tombstone, which I haven't seen, but it's a famous film um, back in the day. But I just, I, this on, it's funny because like on the cusp, it, it seems like it's a B movie, right? Yes, Mandy. Yeah. But when you watch it, it's it doesn't feel like a B movie because oh, it's no. so intelligently done. Like the the dialogue is just so sounds so smart. Like it's almost uh, it reminds me of that one other filmmaker I love. Um, like uh, what, what was his name? Uh, oh no, uh, Rob Zombie. Oh, really? I Yeah, I know what you yeah. mean. There's something in the dialogue, something about the space that he gives every single word, while sometimes is kind of painful. Other times <laughs> it does put a lot of weight on each word. And so like the film ends up being pretty concise dialogue wise. But because there's so few words, every sentence holds a lot of weight. And I, 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 I get that. Um, so I guess let's pull the, the perspective back a little bit. You don't really like horror, you say? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. I, well, I don't like, okay, so I don't like two sub-genres of horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, so it's possession, like devil possession. That always freaks me out. And the other subgenre I hate watching, I don't watch, is like torture porn, like mm-hmm. Hostel or Saw. Yeah, those are like, the, I don't, I just don't want to see that. Like, I just, even though I, I respect them, have a lot of respect for them, I just don't want to. That doesn't really tickle my fancy, if you know what I mean. Oh no, I totally do, and it's funny as a kid. <laughs> I, I had a close friend that we loved those movies. We loved Saw. We loved Hostel. And I've gone back now as an adult and rewatched them. And it makes me uncomfortable. And I kind of think <laughs> back to myself, like, if I were an adult looking at my younger self going like, oh, look, his bone came out. I'd be like, oh, Kyle, what's the matter with you? You should like oh, more gosh. erudite horror movies. Let me show you some real <laughs> horror. Um, <laughs> so... Oh the God. other one, possession, though, are you a religious person? I, I'm i not like that religious, but I am I am a Christian. I do have faith. My faith is pretty strong. But, um, you know, they say, you know, if you believe in God, you got to believe in the other guy. So it, and it just it, I don't know, it just freaks me out. Like I would watch it like I'm not scared enough. I'm not too scared enough to not watch those movies. It just doesn't like appeal to me. I'm not like, yeah, let's go watch Exorcism of Emily Rose right now. <laughs> like that, like midnight. Like that's just, I think they would maybe keep me up at night. I know what you mean. I mean, there's also the uh, like 
relevance to me. My dad was Catholic growing up, and he told me that like he never really took it that seriously when he was a kid until he saw The Exorcist, and then that like kicked him in the butt to start taking his Catholic his Catholicism a little more seriously for like maybe oh, a year. I... Um, but <laughs> yeah, I feel like if if I was more spiritual and I had that connection to the source material that like they're playing on i.e. the Bible, that would be much more terrifying for me versus like I'm particularly afraid of Jaws because I liked going in the ocean a lot as a kid, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all about just like your personal relevance. So what genres exactly, do you yeah. like or subgenres? I mean? I really like, I don't know if this is a genre, but it's a genre that I made up. I, I love intelligent <laughs> horror. Like I don't like, like same when it comes to like comedy, I don't really like stupid comedy. Um, I'm trying to think of like an example, but I can't like, I really love Rob Zombie. Like his movies are very gory, very gory, but he's, you could tell like, he's a good filmmaker. He's not making it just to tell some cool story. Like there's some deeper meaning behind it. And and I felt like that was the same with Mandy. Like on, on the, on the surface level, it seems like a really cool film. And just to like sit down and let your mind just go blah, you know, like just to be entertained. But like, it's also, you could just tell that like a very great filmmaker made this film for a specific reason. And I really look up to that, you know, being a filmmaker myself, like you think that, oh, I could, I could shoot something like that. Yeah, sure. (laughs) And then when you actually try, you're like, oh my God. And it turns out not the way you expect it. It's like, ah, I should have worked more hard on the script or, you know, it's not my story to tell. So it is very personal, which is what a director should do. Like they shouldn't just tell this story because they think it's cool. There should be um, some sort of personal connection to it, which he, which the director did actually. His, his parents died um, a while, a while ago now, but he made it, he made this movie kind of for them with that inspiration. I totally agree. I feel like I've had what you're describing uh, described to me as psychological thrillers is as opposed to like full on horrors. It's psychological thrillers that air a little more toward horror than uh, drama are the ones that I like as well. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm really curious to I I mean, I'm fascinated how much you look up to this director. I'm curious how you're going to uh, feel when I get done with him. So why don't we get into it? (laughs) Hootie McGarrion here on The Gory Days with me, Kyle Leone. We are talking about the movie Mandy from 2018. Let's get into it. So directed by Panos Cosmatos, who directed his as you mentioned, this is his sophomore film. His last movie was Beyond the Black Rainbow in 2010. Eight years between his first movie and his second movie, which would be a death sentence for a lot of filmmakers if you waited that long Mm -hmm. to capitalize on your popularity from your first film. A lot of people want to try to keep up making a movie one to every two years so that everyone remembers them. But not this guy, because he's Hollywood royalty. He's the son of George P. Cosmatos, the director of blockbuster films such as you mentioned Tombstone, but also Cobra, Leviathan, and Rambo, First Blood Part Two. I always love movies that have first and two in the title. (laughs) With a screenplay by Panos Kosmatos and Aaron Stewart on, based on a story that Panos, the director, came up with, this movie has six men producing it. Six male producers. I don't think a woman touched this this early production set, but why don't we talk about how this movie got made? 
So at some point, Panos Kosmatos comes up with this very original story. A dude goes on a revenge killing spree, hunting down the people that murdered his girlfriend. Kill Bill! Used one of his dad's connections to get a script written by Aaron Stewart on, but then was too stupid to just let Nicolas Cage star in it, and it got shelved for a year in 2016. So one year later, in 2017, Elijah Wood, yes, that Elijah Wood, joins as producer, talks some sense into Cosmatos, and the project resumes, finally premiering at the 2008 Sundance Film Festival in, two, in January of 2018, and then being released theatrically in September of 2018, which is around when I started seeing the billboards and stuff for it. I remember specifically going to a Rhea Butcher stand-up, and in the theater next door, they were playing Mandy, and there was, like, at one point, some big sound effect boom that Rhea reacted to, and was like, huh, I should see Mandy. And I, that's <laughs> all I thought about, like, oh, maybe Mandy's a good movie. It sounded like some fun stuff's going on there. Totally left my brain. <laughs> anyway, why don't we talk about, why don't we summarize what happened in this movie so that we can talk about what we thought about it. If anybody hasn't seen Mandy, don't worry. Like I said, it's a very simple story. It's a revenge horror fantasy, not unlike Taken or John Wick or Sweeney Todd or Kill Bill, like I said. In 1983, Red Miller, played by Nick Cage, lives with his artist girlfriend Mandy Bloom, played by Andrea Riseborough. Doing a great job. Those eyes. Uh, They live in the Shadow Mountains, and one day, Mandy goes for a walk and is spotted by a passing violent drug-obsessed cult leader named Jeremiah Sand, played by Linus Roach, and his cronies named the Children of the New Dawn. And so Jeremiah has his cultists kidnap Mandy, beat up Red with the help of a demonic biker gang... And so Mandy resists Jeremiah's attempts to drug and indoctrinate her into the cult. And enraged, Jeremiah burns Mandy alive in front of Red. And they leave. Red frees himself, visits his friend Carruthers, played by Bill Duke, to get weapons and a bunch of exposition. Red goes on a killing spree, kills every cultist except Lucy, uh, played by Lenny Pellet. Until finally he finds Jeremiah and crushes his skull in his hands. He burns the compound down and drives off into a drug-fueled space sunset. The end. That's Mandy. What's not to love? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you know, what's not to love, man? (laughs) I feel like it's so easy to describe the movie, but when I first sat down and watched it, I was scrambling for a plot. I was sitting there (laughs) on the couch just desperately, like, looking for what is the story here? I get it. They live together. (laughs) They seem to have a really great relationship where they never speak until it's necessary. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And they just live in isolation up in the mountains. And then finally, the movie arrives and starts doing things to these people. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. My first segment after I describe the movie is always a, a litany of questions called Mystery LLC. And I like to ask my guests, what do you think happens at the end of this movie after the credits roll? Does Red go to prison for murdering all of these people? (laughs) Or does he just drive around as a, does he become a biker demon because he drank the LSD? What do you think happens? I think he just drives off to the sunset. Like he's, he, he got what he wanted. 
um, you know, he got the revenge. He he got his arc. Um, yeah, I think he's he's in a way satisfied because the last shot that we see in the film is of him smiling. Yeah, with like blood all creepy over his face. Smile. With Mandy, it's a very creepy <laughs> smile. But in 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 the movie world, it looks pretty cool. Yeah. Um, with Mandy sitting like right next to him, sort of smiling as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So I don't know. I think he's just like that cheesy kind of ending they're just like drive off to the sunset like he's he did what he did i think he's gonna continue with his like uh what do they call what is his job in the film like i, I think he's down. like a um well it's funny his name is miller so i have to imagine <laughs> he, he's a yeah. miller <laughs> there you go i think he just goes back to that to that regular job because we get these like little hints at the lives that they had before and it's like implied that they they had some like he he might be an alcoholic he might be a veteran right there is some violence in their past but it that's really Mm -hmm. not what the movie the story is about it's not about like them getting back to society it's more about uh this like evil force inserting itself into their little idyllic life so yeah, I interpreted that last scene as like, you know, he's driving away It pans up and we're we see Saturn and all of that kind of like a reference to the conversation he was having with Mandy earlier. But also mm-hmm. it, it, it also looks similar to her drawings and what she was doing earlier. But I saw it as like, that's how far gone he is from reality that he has now separated himself either by choice or because of the drugs or because of his actions killing everybody. He's now crossed over to like the, through the threshold into this, like, Oh, he's on another planet, you know, so to speak, quote unquote, he's on, he's in another world. That's where he is at this point. Right. And so I have no idea how a person like that is supposed to reinsert himself into society. He's covered in blood is he, am I supposed to believe he's going to go get a burger at a diner and everyone's going to be fine? <laughs> Some shawarma, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, I was, uh, I always like to think on the themes and sort of like the greater message of the movie and maybe what the director was trying to say, kind of like what you were saying. And I was frustrated because the director doesn't know what his own movie is about. And I totally respect <laughs> your perspective, and I want to have a uh, a heated discussion about this. But when Nicolas Cage was approached to be in this movie to originally play Jeremiah Sand, Cage pushed back and said, actually, Panos, I would rather play the lead role. I would rather play Red. And so right. the director told Nicolas Cage that the film was actually a story about old age versus youth. And so he didn't think Nick was right to play Red. So wait, you wanted to tell a story about old versus young, and you wanted the cultists to represent the old and the couple that the cultists terrorize to be the young? And you wanted Nick Cage to play the old (laughs) cultists attacking a young couple and your great story is old versus young? Like, in my perspective, the older people would be the people who have, like, resigned to their life in the mountains and have retired. Mm -hmm. And the young cultists are the ones, like, high on drugs and crazy, think they're going to live forever, (laughs) stupid disillusion, don't have any life experience and are just doing this craziness. But this guy, when he wrote it, thought it would be better if the old people were the crazy cultists and the young people 
And and that's what this whole story would have been. But the nail in the coffin, sorry, I'll let you get in here soon. <laughs> I got you. Is that a year later, like I said, Elijah Wood joined his producer, and he had to explain to Panos what his movie was actually about to explore <laughs> the themes of love and loss of love. And it was only yep. then that Panos agrees to let the Academy Award-winning actor Nicolas Cage do whatever he wants. And so... <laughs> And so this is, and that would all be fine. But then when the film was shown at the 2018 Cannes Film Festival, he gets up on stage and describes the film is about the death of his parents. So first he, first yeah. he thought his movie was about old versus young. Then somebody <laughs> revealed to him, oh no, his movie's actually about love and loss of love. And then he finally says, no, 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 it's about the death of my parents. You know, directors, they're all over the place <laughs> I would love to hear your perspective because it, I was wrestling with it. I was thinking so many people worked on this movie and I am so ready to knock off an entire thumb because the director doesn't know what his movie's about. Is that fair? I kept like asking myself. That actually is fair. Um, to be honest, you know, like any work of art can be broken down into a million different like uh perspectives and like observations and how you would uh how it would seem to you right like it's a piece of art like either it means this way or it doesn't like who knows the real truth behind it um I never really thought of it as old versus young I don't know where he got that from <laughs> um, but you know like I'd have to actually rewatch it like a few more times with that with that in my mind but I immediately saw uh, the whole well the whole revenge story is what um, is like most obvious and that's yeah. what probably sold more tickets because um, who doesn't like a revenge revenge film um, but also the whole love loss thing that's that's another thing that also drew me to this like it doesn't it's not just a movie about gore and horrific demons coming out in front of the like behind the woods with bikers like without faces like it's it has a much more deeper meaning and that's like loss of love which is what happened to the director so I feel like, you know, all, maybe he was nervous in that interview. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think that's so... He's just like, it's about old versus young. I don't know. <laughs> I just think it shows something that a lot of us out in the uh, trying to get into the industry, in the industry, and even out of the industry, is that we all assume that films are like an, a piece of art, that they're all done from one person. And it was this like genius man or woman who sat down and yeah commanded all the people like puppets but really it was them it was their brainchild and when you watch the movie you're going to go oh my gosh patty jenkins did such a great job with wonder woman <laughs> i mean that's frankly how the industry should work is that a competent director right. is given a project because they have the almost uh, unimaginable ability of maintaining a vision through mm -hmm. a thousand people's different filters to be what they mm -hmm. originally planned to be. But this paints a picture of it takes a village that even the person who came up with the idea doesn't really get why it's good. They could pitch the <laughs> idea to someone and the person could love it. And then you ask them, oh my gosh, so what's it about? And they'll go, oh, so at the end of the day, what it's really about is a badass killing dudes. And the people have to go, <laughs> no, 
what's your movie about? And he goes, oh, it's about a guy losing his girlfriend. And they go, close, what's your movie about? And he goes, I don't know. And they have to tell him, loss. Right. And I think that's so funny because I, do you write? Oh, that's right. You said you wrote that script. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I've, I'm not a writer, but I like to to pretend that I dabble in it. And just in my research, it's something that I've come across both like as a producer and as a quasi writer, which is like the universal themes of a story and how the setting and the like trappings and the coolness kind of come after secondary to whatever your like story is trying to say. Like, in my opinion, uh, aside from, you know, like, big-budget blockbuster movies, an indie film that looks as lovingly crafted as this, you want to hope that there's a statement behind all of that that the director wants to say. And and I felt that when watching it, and unfortunately my research revealed that I was doing a lot more work than the director did. <laughs> right. But I don't know if that's bad or not. I had a really a hard time wrestling with that because... Even if the director had no idea, his team made a fun, awesome movie. Right. Yeah. I never really thought about Mandy that way. But that's very interesting, isn't it? Like, well, usually when I write a script, um, I think of like, I come from like the outside in. It's a little weird. Maybe not for every single script, but I don't, theme doesn't come to me right away. Usually when you have a good story, good characters, and they're, well-developed and all that, the theme will kind of form itself, although you do need to make it clear what it is. Um, that's so that, interesting. I think that's important. Yeah. Because I feel so like... I don't know. I feel like yeah, when that's I... Like, s- weird. No, I'd love, I'd love to hear the comparison because when I sit down, I... It's interesting. I've kind of tried to go backwards now and like my little exercises is I start with what's a question that I, Kyle, want to explore and then... I kind of like, like I have enough cool worlds and characters and stuff in my head. All that it really needs, in my opinion, is like a thematic discussion that you, Hootie, could sit down and read or watch or listen to whatever the, the medium is and find a connection to your life that you're mm-hmm. actively thinking about without really thinking about it. Like it's your relationship with your parents or what you would do if you're, if a loved one like was taken from you or something. Right. Yeah. And that, that's, that's where this movie shines. My favorite, it sucks, but one of my favorite scenes is when they are burning Mandy because, <laughs> because oh, no. that's, yeah, it, it's, it's great. It's, it's beautiful. It's not shot through like, five different prisms to make it look super artsy. It's just horrible. It just Mm -hmm. holds on Nick Cage for so long. And I couldn't help but think and empathize in that moment of, Oh my God, what would I be feeling in this moment? That's what the movie is. All the extra like bikers and the murders and all of that. The the movie is Nicholas Cage watching his girlfriend burn alive. It's awful. It's terrifying. Mm -hmm. And that, that scene in the bathroom, I mean, come on. Nick Cage going full Nick Cage. He's still got it. Oh, God. And he goes back to the drinking, mm-hmm. which is, like, still so, like, oh, no. But, like, he's literally broken. Uh-huh. Everything is taken away from him. So I, I just – the scene in the bathroom is the one that sticks out most to me, I think, because it's just it's so, so brilliant. It's so good. 
yeah, as he's scrambling for his humanity, like uh, right. downing that alcohol so painful just to get the feelings out of there. Um, mm-hmm. The animated segments were a little jarring. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it just um, points back to like that's his style. Like, to be honest, I haven't seen his first film, the Beyond the Black Rainbow yet. Me neither. Um, the, <laughs> I don't think you will. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe. I don't know. But those kind of movies, like you have to be in a in a certain mood to to watch those. It's not like it's a it's like a Saturday afternoon kind of kind of film, unless that that's who you are, which is fine. But that's but, the thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. yeah. This movie feels like it wants to be art house for a good half of it, and then once right. the you know tone shifts after Mandy dies, it becomes more of a traditional action thriller. And that's I true. think it spreads itself kind of thin, in my opinion. If it had stayed art house i think i would have like respected kind of the message that it's saying but it wants to have its cake and eat it too and i think it spreads itself a little thin which leads us to my second to last segment where we get to talk about the themes in this movie called screaming themies the biggest one of course being revenge horror so Mm -hmm. um i'm happy that you're on the show and i'm happy that you picked this movie because it's really unfortunate that this story has been told before with a less misogynistic lens by a more misogynistic director. (laughs) I'm talking about kill bill because in this movie, it's awful that Mandy, the female lead, you know, like opposite Nicholas cage has to die brutally as a plot device to get Mm -hmm. Nicholas cage's character to start being machismo and get justification for being a murderous badass. And so That's it, true. it loses some points for me there because it's 2018 and I thought we were growing yeah. outside of some of these, you know, I, I wanted to, I wanted to get your take on that. Cause it made, it just made me feel uncomfortable. Like Mandy did almost, she put up almost no fight except for laughing at his penis, which I guess counts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's true. I honestly, I never really thought about that. Um, but now I am, uh, but you know what though? The, I'll 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 write the next film that uh, <laughs> turns the tables then because I'd love to see that as well. Like maybe I was thinking about that. Like what if it was like di- like different gender swap? Like what would happen then? Mm-hmm. I I doubt that or any Mandy- studio film would ever even pick that up. Uh, there it would be a bit, bit of a fight. But I think like those B movies or like those indie horror films. I think they would take take a rap out of that i think they i think they would love that a lot well again i'll only use my i statements i don't want to get up on any kind of mansplaining pedestal i find it uncomfortable when it's like uh if a woman is the lead character and she's a badass it's like a big deal and it's like charlie's theron and she's like on the cover Mm -hmm. and she's all badassed out or it's like um the alternative is if they don't start out as a badass, then they become one through trauma, like the brave one or, um, True. uh, or, or the bride even from kill bill. Uh, I, and so because this movie has the typical man, I feel like something is seriously lost. There'd be an amazing, like uh, discussion about like the brainwashing that Jeremiah sand has over all of them and how it doesn't work on Mandy and I feel like that there's a real missed opportunity to discuss kind of like, 
I would have appreciated if Mandy had survived the fire and had somehow either escaped or helped uh, um, Nicolas Cage's character or something. I kept thinking that this was going to be a last house on the left kind of thing where the man and woman, husband and wife team up to get revenge Mm -hmm. on those in, in last house on the left. It's those who killed their daughter in this one. It's right. It would be who ruined their life, who destroyed their life. Like if they just burnt their house down or like John wick killed their dog or something, but yeah, it's a shame that Mandy, I feel feel like such a bad feminist right now because I never really thought about this (laughs) because I just looked at the film and I felt like visually, this is so cake. It's so, it's so colorful. It looks so cool. And I'm like, Oh wait, yeah, it is about a woman dying. And you know, more than that it's about every single woman in the movie being shown as subservient and unable to resist a man yeah exactly yeah Yeah. even mandy even mandy expresses her one bit of agency by saying i think i'd like to move away from this place and that's it doesn't really happen (laughs) that's true yeah because because uh nick kate red doesn't want to Mm-hmm. And He's in like, fact, I, no, I think we're fine. <laughs> in fact, when Mandy decides, you know what, I'm going to decide the direction that this conversation goes. What's your favorite planet? He goes, nope, fuck you, Galactus. Ha ha ha. <laughs> it's like, all right, fine. I guess <laughs> I have nothing to yeah. add. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this movie has a lot to say about drugs. It seems like yes, it does. It seems like the first half, if you were to say that the movie itself is on drugs, I would say the first half of the movie is on LSD and the second half of the movie is on cocaine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, right? I think he does both in the film too. <laughs> I mean, there's that there's that scene where uh right after he, or he's like he's in the midst of a fight and like in the background there's like a porno playing. Yeah. It's just so funny. And like right after that, he just takes a huge like snuff of like he just blows a huge. Oh <laughs> yeah. my god! It's like a. I'm like, how are you not dead right now? So <laughs> I feel like there's some kind of statement about um, that drugs are bad, obviously. But there's also this like understatement of like drugs are kind of good. So the drugs are bad argument is most evident in the biker gang that they've been so corrupted by drugs and drug peddling and being bad guys that they have literally become like nightmare monsters. Did you interpret, how did you interpret that? The, like the, the bikers? Yeah. Cause at first I thought like, oh, this is some kind of like weird. The movie is so tripped out that these badass bikers seem like monsters but they're normal but then later it's like all but confirmed no they're real monsters i i think i read somewhere because i'm not that intelligent and after i watch a film i kind of need to know like an analysis like what did it mean you know i do that all the time um but that's okay um i kind of i read that they were in a way representing the four horsemen like the end of the world kind of thing and i was like that's very interesting because we never really see their face. Um, they are kind of like creature-like. Because they they sound like golems. They yeah. sound very, very creepy. And they also like appear out of nowhere. Like they're coming out of the darkness. And I guess like the... the and you summon them with a conch like, shell. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this conch shell, which reminds me of Spongebob. But uh, it's all 90s kids. Um but yeah, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like representing like the end of like like the four horsemen and all that stuff. 
I think it also plays on, I don't know what you heard growing up as a kid, but like, you know, Dare would come in and tell you that one hit of LSD will make you think that you're a glass of orange juice for the rest of your life. (laughs) Or one hit of acid will put, or one hit of um, E will put holes in your brain and that kind of stuff to scare Mm -hmm. people. And since this movie is pretty mired in the 80s and like everything around there, it makes sense for drugs to be held up on this demonic pedestal. Exactly. And now that I think about it, like, I feel like everyone is, every single character in this film is under the influence, maybe except Mandy, mm-hmm. uh, cause she dies. But, um, whether that be under the influence of the cult leader, like, I think they're always in that quote unquote drugged state. And like, so that makes sense that like, you know, I don't base this off reality. It's like a fantasy film, right? Like there's, there's not really like these this magic conch that you can conjure up and like these demons come out and kill your girlfriend. Oh, I hope not. Um, <laughs> but so I feel like the whole the whole film they just took it and just coated it in drugs and LSD. And I think that's just the director's style as well. But I love the way that you put it under the influence because it kind of spreads the metaphor and the the theme out a little bit more to even that you could there's an argument to say that Red and Mandy are drugging themselves with isolation and running from their problems. And in fact, how little they talk to each other and how like dreamy they walk around each other. You could say that they're like high on Xanax and whatever problems ruin their lives before they've run from them and they've hidden in these mountains where they don't have to deal with them. And when they start Mm -hmm. throwing around the idea of leaving the mountains, they're actually talking about doing something about their addiction and their addiction to stagnation and staying in their safety bubble. So I like that. Exactly. Yeah. And they say love is a drug too. So. Yes. Which uh, ties great into the next segment of, or the next theme of love and loss. So the cultists, all of them are practically trampling over each other to get Jeremiah's love, which he is Mm -hmm. super withholding to with that one, the oldest woman. It's It's heavily implied that he's had this like harem of women. And when they get too old, he just gets a younger one. And Lucy is like the newest one. (laughs) Yeah. By the way, his performance when we first see him act with the older woman blew my, like the way he delivers that line. It's really creepy. It is. He's really scary. Yeah. um, (laughs) That actor, Linus Roach, does such a good job of sounding like he's got he's got her wrapped around his finger. It's this beautifully abusive conversation where he's telling her like, you, you are a failure. There's nothing you can do. Get me the hot one. (laughs) Yeah, basically, basically that's what he says. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, he's got them wrapped around his finger. Red loves Mandy, obviously. Jeremiah's jealous of the love Mandy and Red seem to have. So he kidnaps Mandy and tries to force her to love him. But when it doesn't work, he burns her. So it's that loss yeah. of love that catapults Red into action for the second half of the film. Yeah. Well, Jeremiah's like lost his he's love. He's humiliated. Yes, yeah. exactly. Jeremiah lost his love before the movie started. And he's been trying to right. like convince himself that God loves him and that's where he's getting it. But he begs in the mirror all the time to try to get God to basically remind him that he loves him. Yeah. Uh, so it's a great performance. Oh my God. It still gives me the chills. Like, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Yeah. Like, that and, whole thing. And there, obviously the theme of violence is around and it comes, I mean, the biggest example is Mandy's story about her father killing starlings 
and like mm-hmm. teaching her and showing her and her friends how to kill starlings. And I'm not sure how you interpreted it, but I tried to extrapolate that story into like sometimes there are just bad people. Was that her trying to explain that her philosophy is like even things that deserve love and are pure and there's nothing you could say are bad about them like a baby bird. There's someone who hates and will kill them for no reason. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think that's what I, you know, like no matter, like no matter how good you are in this world, like no matter how kind you are, patient and all of the goodness that you should be as a human being, bad things will happen to you. And there it's going to be out of your control because there are, you're not the only person and everyone's different. And also that the whole thing of like life moves on, like going back to another scene in the film, right after she gets killed and Nicolas Cage like goes back into the house, he sees like this really weird television commercial <laughs> yeah. about like this cheese goblin thing. And it's like, why am I watching this? This is very weird. What is this? And it's it's a long scene too. It's not like 10 seconds and it just, he like, stares ominously at this like screen after a horrific traumatic thing that just happened to him and i think it i think that means like life just goes on it's not going to stop and so huh. he has to too i i interpret it kind of like that like bad things happen you have to move on oh um but that was a very strange i strange, like oh uh, yeah i like your interpretation because that explains when he responds to her story and he goes what did you do she says, I stood there, and when they looked away, I ran. Right. So, yeah, and I guess that's kind of like an, it could be a larger metaphor for whatever happened that led her to running here with Red. Interesting. I yeah. like that interpretation. So there's a lot of cool. color, and our main character's name is Red. Yeah. What's Is there anything there? <laughs> oh man, I didn't. I just thought about that right now. Well, there is a lot of red and pink in this yeah, film, and blue, and and blue too. Uh, I mean, red represents like lust and passion, passion, and I feel like fire, man, fire. There you go, fire once again. Um, but like also, all the men are seduced by Mandy. Yes, like in in a very like natural way, like. Her, with Jeremiah it was like just a simple look like she didn't even do anything just yeah. walking around and I think with like Red like well they have a relationship as well but we also met there's like a little flashback of like the first time that they met and like they're just looking at each other like mesmerized um and I think that's why like when they were talking about the planets um that's why she, when she asked him like what's your favorite planet she he immediately went to what she just said and that's, that's why right. he's like, oh, no, I did. like it's very seducing. Like they're very in a way that's a little objectifying because women are just there for like the lust and everything, which goes back to your to your themes of being like so misogynistic. But yeah, that, that, that's what I thought. That's maybe. interesting because she also says Jupiter and references the red spot on it. That's that's, oh, interesting. that's right. But I'm trying to that's think because. Right. The only time I literally tried scrubbing through the movie, just looking at the colors and trying to find some connection between one or the other. But the the scene where she where Mandy is being like tested and, you know, he strips, um, it's all red. 
and I don't know why. Is it to show that like even when Red is not with her, she's still connected to him and she's not going to let himself she's not going to let herself be uh consumed by this cult? I don't know. Hmm, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I have a feeling <laughs> I have a feeling it's just one of those things that like if I said something the director would be like, "Yeah, that that's what it's about." <laughs> <laughs> true because like there's a lot oh, of greens man. and i can't explain those those are really specific they use greens to highlight like otherworldly things like the blade and the weird egg that she pulls out in the dream sequence but i don't know what mm-hmm. those meant yeah yeah i'd have to look into those but like this is what also like scares me when i whenever i'm writing something i'm like i always think how are they going to interpret this what if I just wanted to make it green? Like, what if I just want it green because it's my favorite color and it looks cool? Like, I always think about that. So that, who knows? That's super funny because no, that, that's <laughs> something that was told to me a long time ago is like when you decide I am done with this art and you put it out there, it's not yours anymore. You can that's say true. anything about what it means and what you were doing and no, actually it was just a fun fart I wanted to do. It doesn't <laughs> matter. Someone out there has like connected with it in a way that you would have never thought and mm-hmm. might even laugh to yourself that they did, but it's not yours anymore. Yeah. But I kind of like that. It's kind of cool too. Yeah. That's so, cool. uh, the last point I wanted to touch on is, um, this movie is really like a love letter to the eighties and everything in the eighties while also ironically feeling timeless Like, it feels like this could happen today, right now, with Mm -hmm. all of the things that they have around. But it's also like a, it feels like Stranger Things for grownups, you know? Like, (laughs) from the, like, covers to the allusions to the 80s to the reference to, like, drugs and the satanic panic of, like, the demon uh, bikers and um, the, uh, the drugs and abuse and, like, the, the war on drugs kind of idea without being like, look, it's Ghostbusters, or look, it's Goonies. <laughs> it still feels like th- the 80s without really pointing to a specific year, despite it taking place right. in 1983. Yeah. I just thought that was cool. I think a lot a lot of it has to do with the props as well. Like, the TVs are really tiny. They have, like, the antennas, and, like, uh-huh. the commercials are really cheesy, stuff no like laptops. that. No yeah. laptops, yeah. Right, right, yeah. So... That leads us to our rating, where we rate this movie on a scale of one to five thumbs, one being the worst and five being the best. Hootie, what did you think of Mandy? Well, you know what? It's funny because you made me change my mind a little bit about this film. So I I think originally it was going to do maybe four and a half thumbs, but now I'm going to go with, can I go with halves? Yeah, go ahead. I might go with like three and a half. Okay. What happened? <laughs> Mis- misogynistic. I'm such a bad feminist. I can't believe I didn't think about that. <laughs> I feel like a bad feminist when I make women say, oh, I'm a bad feminist. So I don't know what my responsibility is here. No, I never, you, you open my eyes. I never <laughs> want to be, I never, I never want to be the person that's like, hey, females, actually, you should be mad at this. <laughs> like what, what foot do I have to stand on? It's just how I felt. And it's, it's, it's a lens that I, I've ever since listening to the Bechdel cast, I've tried to like reframe a lot of <laughs> movies of like, no, that's great. That's a good thing. Trust thank me. you. <laughs> and I, I hope, even though it uh, changed how you felt about this movie, um, I'm glad that I could expand anyone's perspective. 
what so we historically award our thumbs to characters or cast or maybe even production people. Who are you going to give your three and a half thumbs to? I'm going to have to, I mean, Nick Cage. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, his performance is like, I mean, the bathroom. If I just saw the bathroom scene alone and I was like, what the, can you please give him another Oscar? Like, What about what the chainsaw like, fight? It, that too oh my god when he pulls the long oh my god i actually heard a story this is a bit of set stories but shooting that scene was really difficult oh to my do. god i can imagine god with it's isn't oh it like god. raining at the time too and there's continuity right? nightmares with blood and oh, mud and stuff Jeez, louise i don't even wanna yeah <laughs> and then when uh he finally gets like uh blood all over his face and he's like drinking it practically Ugh. <laughs> yeah yeah it's pretty cool so one to nick cage for sure yeah oh we have to eat each oh did you give be... all of them you can give all of them to one that's fine oh yeah all of them go to nick cage <laughs> and he's he's unbelievable yeah he deserves that did you ever see leaving las vegas i haven't and yeah. i'm i will i eventually will i know that's a huge film but I will watch it. Well, it's funny. If you could tolerate this one, I have a feeling you would actually <laughs> like Leaving Las Vegas. And I do say tolerate because this movie has a lot of long, lingering shots of almost nothing, which yeah, would yeah. make me like really upset and make me turn a film off and make me go like, okay, God, can we just skip to the next dialogue in five minutes chase, from right. now? <laughs> but yeah. something happens. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the, the like visual language of the movie, but there was something really inspiring about a sequence of shots where I, as the viewer, God, I don't know what this principle is, but it's something in filmmaking where there's like a it's it was demonstrated in like some kind of test where you film a woman looking down the lens then you cut to anything it literally doesn't matter anything and then you cut back to the woman and every person in that audience will have interpreted some meaning even though mm -hmm. the truth is the two shots of the woman are identical yep yeah, but, we learned that in film school. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that principle is called, but but uh, this movie has that in spades where it will show yeah. like a long segment of Mandy coming out of the water. And I don't know if this is a dream or if this is real. And mm -hmm. the fact that the movie does that so well without making me roll my eyes, that truly makes me, while watching it, unaware of if I, the viewer, am in a dream or am in reality is is commendable. And once again, yeah. I don't know if that's the director or the cinematographer or or some combination, but it's some it's unlike anything I've ever experienced. And I've seen 2001, a space odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she literally from that shot, she walks into the fire. I mean, yeah. you know, there's like that force of perspective, like perspective, but like uh she the fire is like right in her face. And Andrea is just so beautiful, I think, in a very unique way. So when you have an actress like that, you just got to stay with her. She has a um, Shelley Duvall kind of face that kind of draws exactly. you in. That long, right. those big eyes and those long yeah. features. Yeah. Yeah. I could totally that's, get why. That's the reason why I love Mandy so much. Like just visually, it's just like, whoa. Yeah. Um, Wouldn't it have been nice yeah. if she had been in the movie more? 
Yeah, I, I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> so, like, despite the story and the plot that I've seen, frankly, done better by other directors, the the film's color and it's uh, like like everything I just said is so unique. It distinguishes itself from those other versions as this like trippy blood drenched psychedelic drug trip. The only other thing I could compare it to. Oh man, I had it in my head when I started the sentence and I forgot, but it's, um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's this movie where uh, our main character takes acid and then it pulls out from him. The movie begins in first person. We're seeing him. And then when he takes the acid, it pulls out to third person floats out of the building down the street to like a club. And then we follow new characters in that club. And I can't remember what that film is called, but it was so oh, trippy and this is the closest thing that I could feel like. So Nick Cage does his best carrying the film, but even his like fre- patented freakouts, which he still very much can do, they feel out of place. They don't feel as cohesive with the rest of the film by the time they happen. So it's been so satisfyingly mired in this like ethereal dreamlike state that when he does his beautiful bathroom freakout, which in a vacuum is awesome it feels like an icicle like in the tone of the movie where it's supposed to but it feels too early for like the rest of the energy that happens and honestly by the time he found the room with the tiger where everything was all like lit up and stark i I was done and i was on i was worried that there was a half an hour left in the movie (laughs) so you know it's slow and if the film had stayed slow and cerebral, I might have like given the film more credit, but it wanted to do both. It wanted to be a trippy art house film and a blockbuster action horror. So I'm going to give it two thumbs. And I'm going gotcha. to give one of those thumbs to Andrea Riseborough, who plays Mandy amazingly. She She's able to get so much out without saying anything or really even yep. doing anything. Yeah. Which is amazing. It's, it's quite remarkable. And there are only a few actors who can do that. And you know what else is good? The chemistry between Nick Cage and Andrea Riseborough is so good because of Andrea. In my opinion, right. yeah. I don't know what their age difference is, but Nick Cage comes off as kind of like an uncle who doesn't really know how to talk to his niece that he's attracted <laughs> to. And and she does so much extra work for both of them that it rolls back over to me saying, wow, they have really good chemistry when really it's all her, in my opinion. It's all coming from her. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, she's mesmerizing. Yeah, like even when he's like, what are you drawing? She's like, it's a jungle temple. He's like, wow, that's, wow. (laughs) Once again, with the the seduction, she is able to seduce everybody around her and she... I think she just uh, like seduces the audience as well. So, Mm -hmm. well, that's the thing. She's presented as kind of like this siren that like, once you see her, you're drawn into her tractor beams and no matter what you do, you love her and you might even do crazy, stupid things out of that love. And it's like, God forbid burn her on fire. (laughs) I know. God forbid Mandy can't walk down the street to work and not get picked up by some crazy cultist because of her quote unquote beauty. Right. It's tough out there for hot ladies. Isn't it? (laughs) I wouldn't know. know. Oh, Hootie. (laughs) I'm going to give one thumb to Andrea and I'm going to give the other thumb to the cinematographer, Benjamin Lebb, because something tells me that he had a big hand in setting up a lot of these like 
fading shots, like the one where the cultist leader is looking at Mandy and his face becomes Mandy's and back and forth. That's super cool. Um, Isn't that like just, they look, I just keep watching that scene over and over and I'm like, I still get tripped out. Yeah. I I think it's like the first half better. Yeah, me too. The second half of the movie is more like a grindhouse action. Like it feels like, Mm -hmm. like, uh, evil dead almost with some of those like crash zooms and the silliness that's still in the horror. Like when yeah. he throws the head into the cult leader, Jeremiah, and Jeremiah like <laughs> right. quivers and becomes this like little mass and he says, I'll blow you. And it's I know. It's but I love little moments like that. And it at some Me moments too. it's like a funny, it's like comedic. Yeah. You're like laughing, and after just you just saw something horrific, I'm like, oh, why am I laughing? Like, because what he just said is really funny. Yeah. <laughs> like, like um, the the one demon with like the knife penis and the way it stabs into the ground and like right. that. Like, I couldn't help but laugh just because of how silly it was. And also exactly. that it doesn't even get used. I thought that was yeah. like Chekhov's knife penis. <laughs> if you introduce a knife penis in act one, it must yeah. stab someone by the end of act I two. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's good. It's, it's got its moments. Yeah. So that's Mandy. I'm so glad you brought this movie. Cause I don't know if I ever would have watched it if somebody didn't bring it to me. So uh, I'm really I'm glad good. that you did. Thank you. I feel honored. <laughs> and thank you for coming on to the gory days. Hootie, if people oh wanted God. to follow you or set stories or the set stories podcast, how would they do that on social? Well, yeah. Well, I'm personally on Instagram. I'm at Hootie McGarian, uh, just simple, my name, H-O-U-R-Y-M-A-G-A-R-I-A-N. And my podcast, Set Stories, is also on Instagram uh, uh, at set underscore stories underscore podcast. And we also have a website. Check us out at setstoriespodcast.com. We have merch, too. We have merch. If you want to support us in any way, that's, that's awesome. All of it's on the website. You have merch? That's awesome. We do have merch, yeah. <laughs> well, we're definitely going to put all that info in the episode description, and I don't know if I have that many listeners, but it'd be pretty cool to give you the Gory Days bump. We'll see if uh, your sales see any uptick next week. <laughs> and you will get a piece of that cake for sure. Oh, please. I'm just happy to have a new <laughs> friend in my podcast circle. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. This was so much fun. I had a blast too. Yeah, Mandy was a really fun movie, even if it was made by kind of a rich fail son. Um, We'll see what his (laughs) next movie is. Maybe it will uh, actually make a little more sense and won't just be a fun color trip. It was a fun color (laughs) trip though. Thank you again. Yeah, it was. Oh, thanks. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of The Gory Days. Your host, Kyle Leone. I hope you have a really fun holiday season. And even though we didn't do Black Christmas this week, maybe I'll do it next week. I can't decide if I'll do Black Christmas or New Year's Evil. We'll find out. But until next time, stay scary out there. The Gory Days.